Hey everybody, welcome to Regardless, You've Got This. I'm your host, Skylar Sorkin. Say hello to the syllabus for your 20-something soul. The syllabus you never received in college is finally making an appearance. This podcast will inspire you to create your very own 20-something syllabus, ultimately guiding you towards your sole purpose regardless of self-doubt and what others think. Alrighty, let's just get to work. Corey, what's up? Oh, what's up, girl? Oh my God, what's up? How are you? (laughs) Hi, my 20-somethings. Welcome back to Regardless. Okay, so I would not be doing my job here if we didn't cover FOMO. I really think it's probably the hottest topics and feelings that we really do experience as 20-somethings. And I know FOMO can really be applied to every area of my life, whether that's fear of missing out in work, maybe not going to a networking event, or fear of missing out, maybe going out with my friends. And so how do we really manage the the should versus what actually feels good and what is the best decision for me in the moment? When I, you know, decided that I wanted to talk about FOMO in my head, the name that immediately popped up was Corey Camp. Really, Corey, I think your life is so inspiring because regardless of the FOMO and regardless of being your age 27, you've really created this life that is so focused on really your future self and you're investing into your well-being all the time that I could really see on social. And I know we can only see so much, but it is really true. And so Corey Camp, to welcome him in, he is the host and founder of the Forever Athlete Radio, as well as a high-performance newsletter. And at just 27 years old, Corey is an ex-national swimmer, turned life coach, entrepreneur, and founder. So welcome, welcome to Regardless, Corey. I am so juiced to have you here. Skylar, I mean, thank you, first and foremost. I appreciate it. And just gotta say, like, I need that intro everywhere I go. Like, right. I, I'm feeling so good after that. Wanna hire me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. We'll talk off camera. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, but it's really cool, like this moment here with you, because I remember so vividly last year, and I was talking to you into coffee, and I'm like, Corey, I love what you're doing with your podcast. Like, I've been thinking about doing one. Should I do it? And you are really the cherry on top of me, just freaking going for it. And being like five, four, three, two, one. Okay, doing it. And so I want to thank you for that because you really kind of were like that that push that I needed. Thank you. I and I appreciate it. And that's I saw something in you that I see in a lot of people in our age range where there's this like desire to do more. Um, but oftentimes what whenever we're in that pivotal point, right? We see something that we want our brain immediately then justifies like, well, that's stupid. Don't go into, don't do that. Yet Mm. that inner voice in you is like screaming, being like, Skylar, you got to go do this. You got to go do this. This is going to light you up. Who cares about the logistics, the time, like you'll figure it out. But logic creeps in. It's like, yeah, but you got the job, you got this, you got that, Mm -hmm. the finance, whatever it may be. Um, And it's about just inspiring people to say, okay, despite that, yeah. How do you just dip your toe in? How do you just go a little bit further and, and start to explore and really start to light your soul on fire? Mm-hmm. Um, and some I'm stoked to see a year later that through that conversation, it wasn't just a, oh yeah, this would be great if you started it. You're actually freaking doing it. 
Yeah. How many episodes are you in now at this point? Like 20. That's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So let's jam on episode whatever. Let's go. I'm so awesome. I'm stoked. So Corey, curious about your journey. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you're kicking butt, but I know your, your journey has been an interesting one. Um, like every human, but you know, you're 27 years old. I would love to hear if we could go back to younger Corey at year 20, what is the story at year 20? What is like the story that you would tell me who was Corey at 20 years old? Like, what were you doing? I know you were swimming. Like I would would take me into your shoes. Let's go there. Yeah. I was about to say 20 year old me was a cocky, confident, uh, (laughs) gets those mixed up kind of guy. Yeah. Only on, only on the pool deck. Um, did not, necessarily have that in all areas of my life I very much was like yo I'm I'm a swimmer I'm an athlete forget about the school stuff the school Mm. stuff will just take care of itself um ego was definitely a lot bigger at that time uh that was running a lot of my life and a lot of my decision making um so it was an interesting time in my life because it was coming off of the best year I had ever had in swimming and actually turned out to be the best year that I would ever have in swimming was my sophomore season um, at college. So I was like feeling on top of the world. Most people go through a sophomore slump. I was like, nope, mm. I'm still peaking. Like, this is great. Yeah. Um, come to find out, like I never would have, I never went a best time again after that. And mm. so that was truly humbling. But yeah, at 20, I was, I was something, man. I was definitely feel myself. Um, in all in some good ways but then and also in in some not so good ways mm. right like i did not value relationships like i do now and all of that so i definitely had a different perspective and a different value set that i think i would judge success off of yeah very much it was focused on outward looking success i wanted to show off the medals and the the rings and you know the things that yeah i was winning at that time um and then i was met with that harsh reality a few years later that outside of the swimming world no one really cares like how fast you can go up and down a pool and that's okay i needed to learn that yeah and was that was that because that was like your identity that you were really clinging on to throughout college and you kind of got into the real world or what would you say what was the transition from swimming to corey adulting and then how did that lead to where you are now Yeah. What was really interesting. So I obviously swam for most of my life, even still to this point, Mm -hmm. started about four years old, um, all the way through, had the ups and downs of the the journey there. Um, And then was it fortunate enough to be able to swim at a very high level towards the later stages of my career. Mm -hmm. And so when that ended, I was lost for the first time in my life because when I set out at five years old, like after learning swim lessons and all of that, it was like Olympics and like scholarship at the very least. Like that's, that's the goal. And it was very easy to break it down because swimming is a time-based sport. That's what I loved about it. It's very objective. Mm. There was no, like I could be swimming here in Austin And I could be comparing myself to people in Tokyo and Australia, like all over the world, because we had the same metrics. It was the Mm. same thing. 
so it's very easy to to see where you ranked and stacked up against people and in doing so it was like okay cool i just need to go x amount faster and then i qualify for this and then that means this door opens and and so on and so forth and that was that journey that i had just so clearly laid out for me for so long that when it ended for me and it wasn't like this abrupt i knew it was coming like yeah Swimming is one of these sports, unless your name is Michael Phelps, maybe a Ryan Lochte, um, you're not making money no. enough to at least like substantially subsidize your life. Um, so I knew that there wasn't a long term there, mm. but even still, I was like, I'm going to give my all until this thing and then it will pay me back on the back end. I didn't know how. Yeah. Um, and I struggled with that direct application. So when it ended, all of a sudden I was like, okay, cool the career path that I had set out for me was physical therapy school. Mm. That was the next transition. Well, I was so focused and wrapped up on swimming that my GPA in college was not good enough to uh, get into any physical therapy school, let alone Delaware, where I went, became the number one PT program in the world, in the world, in the nation at that time. And I just thought, because I went there for undergrad, I'll naturally just get in. Right. They knew the professors. They liked me. Yeah. Yep. And even they were like, Hey, like you should just go back to a community college and like retake some of these classes, get a higher GPA, reapply a year from now. And I was like, yo, no, that's not me. Like you got the wrong guy. (laughs) I always have it figured out. Like, no, no Mm. way. That to me was losing. So I Mm. said, all right, whatever, forget that dream. And I went so far the other direction of, I didn't want to recognize me who I was, I wanted to, to basically kill that version off and reinvent myself. Mm. And in doing so, so for context, I was like a skinny 155 pound distance swimmer. Okay. And as soon as that all transpired, I said, I'm going to go so far the opposite direction. I'm going to bulk up. I'm going to lift. I'm going to party because I never had the opportunity to party mm. really. Exactly. Okay. Uh, this is kind of when that started. Yeah. Cultivating. Just, it okay. all, literally momentum went all the way Mm. the opposite direction and found myself going out three times, four times a week, found myself putting on 40 to 50 pounds in about less than a year. Um, So then one day I looked in the mirror and and I was like, wait, I hate my full-time job that I'm doing. I'm refinancing mortgages. Like Mm. this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't even recognize who I am in the mirror anymore. Like there's no more six pack. Like the six pack was gone. Um, not that that like defines yeah, me or yeah. identity, but for the longest time, I, it was never something that I had to worry about. Um, and I was like, I can't even move. Like I would like to move without pain. Like I can't go yeah. run a mile without my knees hurting. Like what, what did What's I going do? On? Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was one of the lower points of, of my life for sure. was that mm-hmm. later stage about seven eight months post swimming ended was when it really set in for me that I was like, Oh, I'm not an athlete anymore. Yeah. Back into that though. How can I start to use that in a way that serves me again? Like it did for so long because it worked. It just, I needed a new way to find. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how a certain lifestyle or a habit healthy or unhealthy can serve you and it serves its purpose. But there comes a time where it's like, this is no longer getting me to where I need to go and where I see myself. And 
you know, I think being self-aware is huge, but also there comes this time, like this crossroads where you're like, I can either sit here and stay in victim and be sorry Mm. for myself, or I can actually wake up and wake up in terms of like, take action. Um, and I think this is kind of where I want to bring it into you, you pursuing sobriety. What actually was the moment that woke you up where you realized that you were just caught up in this identity for so long of just being a swimmer. And then you kind of lost track of really who is Corey, regardless Mm -hmm. of being a swimmer and then kind of finding yourself in this dark space of maybe clinging on to things that are not healthy for you, quick fix in the moment of insecurity or unease to get you to a place of feeling better for just a moment. But what was that moment that you were like, this is no longer working for me anymore? Yeah, it was a slow series, like a slow journey for me. Yeah, it, it really started March, 2020, like so many mm. people, it was a pivotal year or pivotal month, right? So when things shut down, Prior to that, I was living this lifestyle of, I was an assistant fitness director at a country club. I was also their head swim coach. Yeah. I was teaching about 12 group fitness classes a week. I had about 15 personal training clients. I ran their swim program, which meant I was running practices, another six to seven practices a week for different things, different groups. And then I had... um, one-on-one like swim lessons Mm -hmm. as well on top of that. And that varied. I could do as many as 30 to 40 swim lessons uh, a week. And so I was busy to say the least, right? Like I was at the country club all day, every day. I would typically leave my apartment about 4, 45, 5 in the morning, and I would get home around 8-ish or so. And so on top of that, then because I was so busy, I wanted during the week, I wanted to have a social life. So mm-hmm. I would max out my weekends with socializing. I couldn't tell you, Skylar, the amount of times like on Friday night would come around and I would be so dead tired because of how much I yeah. worked already at that point in the, yeah. in the week. But it was Friday night. You don't you don't spend Friday night alone in home. In at What's 20. that? Yeah. Like you're 23, 24, 25 years old. No, you, you, you got to go out because that's what everyone else is doing. And I, and I fell into that so much and I love my friends. I really do. I just had to start to distance myself from mm. some of them because they wouldn't honor that. I would say I was tired and they say, yeah, yeah. But like, come on. And I was like, all right, cool. So I would start to compromise and I would go out. But what I really learned about myself is I really struggle to turn off. So like once I'm on and like rallying, like I'm going all in. Yeah. All in. So you convinced me to go out on a Friday. Yeah. I'm out. Up with you seven, eight. I'm not leaving at midnight. I'm I'm going out and, and I'm going up on being up for 24 straight hours and like ending with like 15 plus drinks in my system and all this the best thing that ever happened was the was the pause and Mm. work immediately shut down all the bars closed so all of a sudden my friends were like wait we can't even do house Mm. parties like what do we do what do we do I was like oh my gosh wait I can actually now start to like I've created space to actually explore what can I do and so then slowly it over the course of those few months it's so interesting to see how it started to transpire. Like I remember first week in or shut down my roommate and I 
we're surfing on Groupon and we find this Groupon for 20 bottles of wine for like 50 yeah. bucks. Like, yes, we need that. <laughs> we order the, these 50, these 20 bottles of wine. And I just remember all of a sudden he was drinking way more than I, like I had no desire mm. to, even though now I had the free time to drink all the time. I was like, that, that there's something wrong with that. Like I shouldn't do that before I knew it of the, the bottles he probably had 80% of them and I maybe had 20. I was like, all right, maybe I'm like starting to reevaluate my relationship yeah. with this thing. I'm going to start to explore. And like any journey, right? Like I would, I I wouldn't say I would relapse, but I would definitely go back into that old habit of mm. Friday night comes around, we're going to black out. Saturday comes around, we're going to black out all day. Do all of that. And it really, the, the biggest pivotal moment for me became New Year's Eve going into 2021. I had decided at that point, I was living in DC. I decided at that point that I needed to change things up mm -hmm. from that environment. And the culture there was very much, who are you and what do you do for a living? I couldn't tell you the amount of times that I would, I would meet someone out and they would find out that I would be doing all these jobs at the club yeah but the, the moment they found out that like i would lifeguard a little bit or something to mm. for health benefits and and all this i don't even have to justify it no but they they would be like oh and then it's immediately lose interest and, and walk away i was like this really dude it's kind of like sucks, yeah right yeah um, so I decided like as I started to do something different, start my own business, start mm. coaching and put myself out there on the internet and do all of that, that I needed to change up my immediate environment. So I decided I was going to move to LA and found a place. And there was this limbo period of like signed the place, had about two months still left in the DC area. Yeah. New Year's Eve is coming around and I had started to make some new friends in that area. And I found myself at this crossroads of let's celebrate New Year's Eve. How are we going to do it? In one camp, my my good friends were like, we're going to throw this giant New Year's Eve party. It's mm -hmm. a house party because it's still COVID. We can't really go out. But come blackout, forget the worst year of our lives, and let's start this new one. Like, Great idea. Oh. I was like, that, the messaging just didn't sit with me anymore. No. And I, I just took the time to say I don't know if I want to do that, but part of me felt obligated because they were my friends. And yeah. I wanted to go them, right. But I was moving away in two weeks after. So I didn't want to just like Irish goodbye them and, and not say like show face. Cause I didn't know when I would see them again. And then on the other hand, I had two friends that invited me up to Baltimore, which was like an hour drive away from where I was living at mm -hmm. the time. And they said, Hey, we're going to just do a potluck dinner. We're going to all make like, we'll all cook together we'll host, we'll have like a cocktail and like, we'll bring in the new year this way. And when I sat with that decision, I said, the, the small party, the small intimate setting, deeper connection, that really yeah. speaks volumes to me. I want to be there. That was really what was lighting me up. And I was trying to justify, but I want to go see these people. So what I ended up doing, thankfully, I worked with a coach myself and he helped me kind of open up to this concept of, and also, yeah. So instead of looking at situations of either or black and white, he said, what, did, what would an and also look like? Mm -hmm. And with that lens, I was able to say, okay, I can go to this New Year's party. So I went and I helped set up. I said, I'll, I'll be there. I'm going to show cool. face. I'm going to help set up. 
I'll have some pizza with you guys. And then I was like, hey, because I'm moving in two weeks, yeah. I got to go see my other friends up in Baltimore. I'm just making my rounds. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I'll be back home. And they were okay with it. Mm-hmm. And I learned making these decisions for yourself. One, like you don't have to justify it, but it helps if you're able to clearly communicate the mm-hmm. intention and the reason behind your decisions to other people. And so that's where it started. And then, yeah, I had that. I had an old fashioned at New Year's Eve. And the next day I woke up, I was like, wow, I feel really good. Like I'm not on New Year's Day for the first time in forever. I'm going to try sober January, like dry January, like so many of us have tried at some point, right? And I just said, I'm going to take it one day at a time, see how I feel. And honestly, that's how I've been taking it now, going on almost two years later. It's just one day at a time. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it will be a forever thing. Yeah. For right now, I haven't found anything. Like when I'm when I'm truly sober and I sit with it and I say, is this what I want to do? I haven't found anything that has like lit me up more than the alternative of just, I'm just going to go and check this out and enjoy it sober. So cool. So powerful. Uh, I I just think that people need to hear this because there's just so much noise and I mean, it's, we've been groomed from college to be like, all right, like after homework, after school, I'm going to go with my friends and we're going to black out. And it's really sad to see that that mentality kind of follows us in our twenties. And it's like this, you know, this idea of FOMO. And I can only imagine as a male, Mm. how much more pressure that you have from your friends, from society, from even networking and people being like, Hey, let's grab a drink. Why aren't you drinking? There's so much judgment and noise and pressure, especially as a man to feel like you have to engage in these activities. And it's like, for what? Like we have this fear of missing out of maybe going to this new year's Eve party and drinking with our buddies, but you're going to wake up the next day and you're just going to fall 20 steps behind because you feel like shit. You, the anxiety comes in and it's like, how am I becoming a better person like, was that even worth it? Did I even remember the night? No. So what fear of missing out? You missed out because you, like, you drank, <laughs> you blacked out. So what connection are you really investing in? Yeah, I realized very early on, like, I think it was the first, one of the first weddings that I went to after, like, choosing to go sober. Yeah. And I was hanging out with, some of the other guys there and uh, pre-wedding. Yeah. Like, wow. We really don't have a ton to talk about, like other than mm. the, mem- the mems of going out and getting shit faced in DC. And the- again, there's nothing wrong with that. They were good memories. I enjoyed, I enjoyed that time. I, mm. I don't want to sit. I'm not sitting here and bashing them. And no. we all have life choices that we get to make. But what I realized was I was partaking a lot in those decisions in those activities because I was craving connection because yeah. I didn't want the alternative. I didn't want the alternative of sitting in my apartment alone, feeling lonely. So I tried to go to these situations and just connect with people. And what I found over the past few years here is like you connect, but it's very surface level. Mm-hmm. Like if you want a true connection with someone, there needs to be depth. And I'm not saying like, you got to go all in deep right off the bat 
when you meet someone yeah. <laughs> new. Alcohol is fantastic in helping us get introduced mm-hmm. to people and break down that initial barrier, right? Like yeah. social anxiety. Like that was a lot of why I drank was because I have large group social anxiety. So mm-hmm. if I'm in a large group, I go to a party, I felt way more confident when I had a few drinks in me. Totally. Wouldn't think about it. I wouldn't think of like, oh my God, is my opening line going to be interpreted <laughs> weird? Or is it, I'm going to like, yeah, what am yeah. I going to come across as, right? I got, I could get out of my own head. Um, so it is fantastic in that sense. But I realized like at some point there is diminishing returns. If you're blacking out every single social interaction, what memories are you really creating? What deeper quality connections mm-hmm. are you really creating? And that's what I was really craving more and more. And that's what I crave now. And I think, honestly, so many of us are craving. Yeah, We can go to a bar and we can feel like we're just taking up space and feeling like we're a part of something. But deep down, are, are you actually? I don't, I don't know yeah. if that's the case. Um, but that can be an experience that brings you together. So my biggest thing to people now is like, if you explore instead of black and white again, and also opportunities, mm-hmm. I encourage a sober, curious lifestyle. Yeah. So exploring activities that don't always involve alcohol is a fantastic way to start to actually add depth to quality of relationships. Mm-hmm. So you might go out with this friend group to the club and that's fantastic, but invite those people to go explore something else. Maybe it's like, I, I want to, I don't want to, the first cliche comes to my mind, like go bowling with them. It's like, well, that doesn't sound fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's other activities out there. Right. But the, the more variety of experience you can add to any relationship dynamic, the better that and more stable that relationship becomes. It's not dependent on one thing. You don't end up like me in 2020 when bars get taken away. And now all of a sudden I feel isolated from my friends because there's nothing to talk about. Mm. We can't talk about how messed up we got the night you know, last weekend and what we're going to do again this weekend, because that's not an option anymore. So interesting. You know, what also kind of just pinged my mind is just this whole, you know, the wounded masculine and just us feeding Mm -hmm. into just toxic assumptions and expectations for men. A lot of it, I think does have to do with alcohol, because I think a lot of like the friendships that a lot of men or boys in their twenties that I see all they have in common is drinking and going out and hooking up and girls. And when you take that away, who are you? And there's this lack of like deep connection and feeling of support. And so I remember I did go to, I decided to be um, sober for a couple of weeks, which was awesome. I went to a party. I was like holding a kombucha and I just had such amazing conversations like deep connections, people that I'm still friends with to this day, meeting them once at this party. And, you know, again, going back at what you said about alcohol being this like just door to connection. Yes. I, I mm-hmm. do agree with you where it, it you know, it, it gives you this liquid courage, but also like you can, we can so have connection without it, but you can so do that without having that clutch. And I think it's just about people getting used to that and practicing that and feeling empowered and excited and us all being supportive of people and our friends that decide to be sober. How were you able to make, you know, healthy boundaries? But what was this like? Like, was this hard for you? Yeah, I was about to say definitely at first, um, 
what I found to be really helpful for me, like what set me up for success was committing to something early the next day, oftentimes. So I never wanted it to be like an antisocial thing. Like I still wanted to spend quality time. It was just a decision I was making. Yeah. So I would set up things like I'm going to go for a run in the morning. Or if I struggled to show up for myself, I would I would pay for a class. Like yeah. usually it revolved around fitness, right? So it would be, I would pay for a Barry's boot camp class at 8 a.m. the next morning or 7 a.m. or whatever. Um, or I would set something up with my own business. I would have a client early that next day or something where when I got pushed, when I pushed on my boundary, I could say, no, I need to hold firm on this because I'm either going to show up for myself the next mm. day or I have this responsibility to show up for someone that has paid me to show up for them. So Smart. I need to I need to be on. I need to be there. Like and, a positive reinforcer. So you're yeah, not just taking away alcohol. You're replacing it with something beautiful, adding, investing into your life. A hundred percent. And that's that's the way I like to view it. It's not a subtraction of any sorts. It's just making room for, for more. It's an addition mm -hmm. uh, equation. So that was, it was definitely tough though when I first started because I would explain that to people and they'd say, come on, you don't really need to run tomorrow. And I'm like, but like, if I don't get this run and I'm training for X, like mm -hmm. it, I won't be able to do that. So like, I do need to get that run in. And like the best thing here in Austin, it was getting so freaking hot that I'd be like, yeah. if I don't get a 6 a.m. or like a 5.30 a.m. start on this run, like I'm going to melt. Yeah, no so way. Absolutely not. <laughs> like I'm I'm going to bed at 10.30 at the latest, okay? So and also you don't have to give someone a reason. Exactly. You, you definitely don't. But when you're first starting off, you totally. feel like you need to, totally. right? You like yeah. you need to justify. And what I, what I really commend with the people that are in my life and just the way that they show up is for the most part, I just had to communicate it once and then they let it go. And it was, it was fantastic. Like when I was in LA, uh, living with Jack and Jorge, yeah. my roommates, like they still went out. They still had like those kind of nights, no judgment there. Yeah. And I remember moving in and they were like, so you're like a two, two, three weeks sober at this point. Like how long is this thing lasting? Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know. I'll let you guys know though. When, like, if I choose to do otherwise, mm -hmm. they, that was it. They never, they never asked. They never pressured me. They never said, Hey, we're getting drizzly delivered. What do you want? It was just like, okay, cool. They, they trusted me to mm -hmm. let them know. And I was able to just not worry about it. Those are some good friends. They're the best, absolute best. So I, I appreciate people like that in my life. Um, and I found like the ones that don't respect the boundary and just continue to ask, yep. <laughs> I just pushed away. Like I just yeah. distanced myself and I said, Hey, like this is just exhausting my energy. Like I'm good. And now like when I meet new people, it's usually asked once yeah. and I just say, Hey, like, yeah, it's just a decision that I, I've made and I'm happy to talk about it more, but you know, right now I don't really want to like going, like, I'm not going to go tell you my whole life story as we're yeah. meeting at the party. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> like, you know. let's get into it. It's actually, so, yeah. it's nice. I, I, one note that I just realized is that when a friend 
freaks out on you for not drinking with them. It has nothing to do about you. They're, they're being concerned about you. It has everything to do with them because they don't have a drinking buddy. They don't have someone to be in this like, you know, gray area space of craziness with. So it has everything to do with them and what they're needing and what they need to be fed in that moment or that night. Yeah. Often so ego. It's, it's so egotistic. It's crazy. It's well, crazy. It's, <laughs> you've made a decision for yourself. And in doing so, you've opened the door to an alternative. And most people hear that and they immediately feel like this mirror gets put up and they, they see themselves in that mirror and they're like, oh shit, like, should mm-hmm. I not be doing that as well? And they start to question it. I tell people that, like, again, there's no judgment in it. Like, no. I stress that when I meet people, I'm like, Hey, look, like I want you to feel comfortable drinking and doing like whatever you want to do. Cause it's your life at the end of the day. I'm not you. I can't tell you how to live your life. I'm just sharing my experience and what's worked for me. And mm-hmm. if that, if that encourages you to go explore a new experience, awesome. If it doesn't awesome, I'm going to be okay either way, yeah. uh, <laughs> which is the best, most freeing thing to think so of. So cool. Let's say that you totally just decided to stay in victim mode. It was too difficult for you to try to be better, try to make these changes and stay curious. And you never pursued sobriety. Let's say COVID never hit. Where do you think you would be today? I know that's a difficult question, but. Deep right off the bat. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would probably still be at the club and I would yeah. still. I've always had this inkling, this idea to like go out and do something on my own and create. And it was starting to come to a head pre-COVID where at the club, or I'd have these ideas of things that I wanted to implement there to improve the customer uh, and the mm-hmm. really the membership experience for our members. And thankfully management was like very receptive to a lot of my ideas but it was red tape. Like everything's like just moved so slow um, that I was just getting so frustrated. And, you know, I think if if I never took that leap and took ownership and started to make this decision, I would probably still be in Mm. that space. And I probably have a lot more frustration um, because I, I was working myself to a ceiling and, Mm. I was just at a very interesting crossroads of all different sorts where I couldn't, if I got a promotion from the position that I was in, I'd actually be taking a pay, like a significant pay cut. So, but I'd be working less hours. So I was like, I don't want to do that. Like I, I didn't know what I would want to really do there, but that's probably where I would still be. Uh, Not that it was a bad spot. Like it, it served me really well. Um, But I would, definitely not be as creative and amped up and I love now that I have the ability to say you know like let's let's go to this my Mm. buddy hits me up and he's like I'm gonna bear crawl a world record up in New York City this weekend like do you want to come and I can just say yeah yeah do it like I'm gonna hop on a flight tomorrow and and go there um this was a few weeks ago so he already did it uh oh I think I saw that I saw that on your insta so, cool. so it's like, it's cool. Like, cause I wouldn't be able to say yes to that sort of thing. Right. And that's what I, what I realized is if I continue to live in that victim mode of that mentality, I would just be way more discontent because I started the dangerous 
part for anyone, right? Like when you start down a self-awareness journey, Mm -hmm. it's actually really, really frustrating at first because you become more aware of what's wrong. And I think I would be way more frustrated, way more discontent, way more unhappy because I would understand what's wrong, but I wouldn't have the means to then take action to go change it. Not that there's things wrong in my life right now. There's puzzles that I'm trying to solve. There will always, there will always be always hundred percent. But now I actually have the the flexibility to go and solve them on on timeline that I'm way more okay with personally. Yeah. And not only that, but you're, you have the presence, you have the, you have the ability to see so clearly because you're not holding on to or clutching to alcohol. And you're actually able to like sit with yourself and be with yourself and look inward Mm. instead of perhaps relying on a substance to be this quick fix to solve, you know, uneasiness, depression, anxiety, or a sense of, you know, even if it's just like liquid courage that then starts to build into staying out until 3am in the morning. Yeah. And the, the other aspect for me, like since starting forever athlete, I really sat with it and I was like, I'm okay with this thing failing, but if it, if it's going to fail, it's going to be because I gave everything and it just didn't work. And when I made that decision, I also looked at like, if I'm blacking out every weekend, am I really giving it everything? No, no, no. I could, you know, like I could do better. I can do more. Um, And so, like I said, like there's pros and cons to that. I definitely am working through like an all in or all out mentality. That's how I've always lived. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's like for me, because people have come to me and they're like, just try moderation. And I'm like, it's just easier for me to say like blanket no than it is for me to open up that can of worms and say, one turns to two, turns to 20, yeah. turns to, yeah. I don't and even if, know. And if you're uh, aware of that, then I think that's also your sign that it's not time. And also, you know, being an athlete and I get this cause I'm one too. It's like, we've been trained our entire lives to ignore this. Ugh, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm like, when people tell me that I'm like, I don't experience that because of ballet, because I had to ignore that and push, push, push. And mm-hmm. so there's been this trained black and white thinking so I can see how it can bleed into drinking and obsession over other things in life. And it can be scary, but the fact that you're so self-aware of that is way beyond years of like even people in their sixties. You know, what's wild in the, in the athlete population in particular, there is more than two thirds experience some sort of substance abuse or addiction at some point in their life. Um, which I think is absolutely bonkers. And that stat just gets higher, like the higher level you competed at. Um, so it, it, to me, it's fascinating, but cause it's the same mentality that helps so many of the greats. I mean, I, I recently was listening to something and they were like, look, Tiger Woods, um, most people see his golf ability and they say, I would, I would kill to be as good at golf as tiger. Like it would Mm. be so, it would be so great. My life would be so set. I'd have all this money. And it's like, but if you could only be as good as tiger, if you had to accept everything else that came with it, all the sex addiction, all the, the crazy scandals that have come over the years, would you still do it? And I think it's a very muddy answer. I don't think you can confidently sit here and say, yes, I would. Um, because I, I don't, 
personally, I would not. No. Uh, but it, again, same mentality that helped him get there has its flaws. And that's so it's so typical, though, for not not even just in this case. Right. But oftentimes what is our biggest differentiator, our biggest superpower can also be mm-hmm. the thing that we need to, to be the most aware of um, that it's yeah. our biggest downfall. So it, it's just knowing and developing this ability to discern between when do I deploy this and when do mm. I just, I need to choose something else and how do I get okay with choosing something else? That is so brilliant. It's not an easy thing to to learn, but I think we learn best through experience if we're able to implement the biggest thing honestly for people if you get to implement space to even start to receive feedback yeah so whether that just be self-reflection through journaling taking time through meditation honestly just taking time without stimulation for a few minutes a day i'm a big advocate for like hey take your headphones out go for a walk for a 10 minute walk no headphones i love that what is and see what comes up and oftentimes the the answer for whatever it is that you're festering on will come up. Mm-hmm. How many times have you like had something that you're trying to sit with and then you take a step away and you go to the shower and then all of a sudden it's like light bulbs. Yeah. yeah. Or like you met, you lost something and you're like, where the fuck is it? And then you like walk away and it's like, oh, walk away. And then it's like, oh, it's yeah, it's, it was on my head. My sunglasses were here the whole time. Or what happens when people don't have that in their life? they they it shows up when they go to bed Mm. like they try to go to sit and now it's the first time all day that they had no stimulus no nothing and now that voice in their head can go wild and they're up for two three hours Mm. and some people are so uncomfortable with that so then they they go scroll tiktoks and they go do this and that it has obviously a host of problems with it (laughs) so much noise well Corey, if you could give any piece of advice to either your younger self or men in their twenties who maybe is struggling um, with addiction or is a little bit too alcohol dependent, what would you tell him? Just try to explore spaces where you, you can create that space, create that quietness and, Mm -hmm. and learn to embrace that. Like there's a difference between like being with yourself and being lonely. Mm -hmm. You can sit with yourself for a minute. You can take yourself out to lunch. You can take mm-hmm. yourself out to dinner and just put the phone away and just like go in and enjoy that. And it's not weird. <laughs> it really no. isn't weird. Uh, it's the best thing for you. So if you can take that space, do so because you never know what might come up from that voice that's been inside that's been mm. suppressed that whole time. It may hurt, but go there it's usually just uncomfortable yeah but it's it's that uncomfortable like through that uncomfortness <laughs> uncomfortableness you have that clarity on the other end mm. you have to be able to sit through that i often say like a lot of self-reflection is looking at yourself in the mirror and even the cleanest mirrors need to continually be cleaned right like if you if you have the best mirror in the world it's still going to collect dust so maybe when you first get it, you might not have to do a ton, or maybe you got an antique mirror and you need to start like really doing some upkeep on it. Yeah. But over time, you still need to go back periodically and clean your mirror. So when you're first starting off on this journey, it might feel really clouded. It might feel very overwhelming and uncomfortable. The mirror might be really dirty. 
but you do a deep clean, you set yourself up well, and then continually set up time where you're like, maybe it's once a week, maybe it's Mm. three times uh, a month or once a quarter, whatever it may be where you're sitting with yourself and you're cleaning that mirror and just taking a deep look of like, Hey, like, is this what I want? Is this where I want to go? How do I get there? What, What do I do differently? What's working? What's not working? Let's do more of what's working. Let's do less of what's not working. It really is that simple, but we try to make it way more complex. I love that metaphor. That like really made my Friday. So I thank you. There we go. Um, Corey, so I'd love to welcome you to the final section of today's episode called Syllabus Steps. And this is really where we kind of recap what we've learned from you and curious from your journey, do you have any specific tools, books, podcasts, activities that have really supported you in your journey? And really, how can we 20-somethings block out the noise, the FOMO cloud, other people's judgments, and regardless, invest into our future selves, whether mm. that means pursuing sobriety or just staying curious about it? Yeah. I'll, the best activity yeah. that personally I found, and I've found a lot of success with this with a lot of my clients that I've worked with, is... is If you just take a minute to brainstorm, take 10 Mm -hmm. minutes to brainstorm a list of every, when you think about it, your soul just gets freaking lit up. Your heart is on fire. When you think about this, it can be everything from silly things. Like when I see a dog on my walk, it lights me up. And when I see a baby, it, it makes me feel this way. Or when I'm doing X, Y, and Z, it makes me feel this way. And from that brainstorm list, going through each thing and say, okay, is that something that I can do every day? Is that something that I can do every week, every month, every quarter? Maybe it's once a year. Maybe it's once every few years. And then proactively put it into your calendar. Because what ends up happening is if it doesn't get scheduled, it it very rarely gets done. Mm. It's just a great exercise that makes you feel good for a little bit. And then it wears off, right? But you're not always going to have that motivation feeling, that that space, and that energy that you have when you do this. So yeah. make put things in your calendar. And it's like the weekly things, once a week, sit down and say, I'm going to select from this menu. These are the these 20 things that I can do every single week or every single day, light me up. When am I doing them? When am I taking that ballet class? Because it brings mm. me back to the, the days of like, how fun ballet was when you first found it. Yeah. When are you doing the walk or the hike or spending time with this friend or calling your family? Like put those in your calendar and then you can reflect back at the end of that week and say, hey, did I or did I not do this? If I didn't do this, no worries. You got feedback, go make some adjustments. Meet mm-hmm. yourself where you're at. Maybe you need to do a little bit less, take on a little less to be successful and then go from there. I love that. Anything else? I would say that's the biggest thing. I'm, I'm big on like, okay, not I love that. overwhelming people. Yeah, I agree. Too much, like at once, that's a great place to start. Also the forever athlete podcast. Hello. And the high performance resource. newsletter. It's a, great it's a re- phenomenal resource. Yeah. So we got, we got forever athlete radio, the podcast has been going on three years plus now we're about to hit 200 episodes. Dude, two- that's insane. It's nuts. I, Mazel tov. I like hello yeah i can't believe that i'm sitting here and that it's been doing it for that long we got the forever athlete book that came out earlier this year that was a forever athlete connect with your true identity daily 
which is out on Amazon and in our website as well. And then we just are launching the Forever Athletes Social Club here moving forward. And that is a membership platform. Okay. It's like a Netflix subscription, $15 a month. And with that, we have a live masterclass every single week. Uh, experts are coming in on different topics from diet to exercise to mindset to therapists, you name it, they're there and they're there to serve the community. And we're doing one live podcast in there a month uh, as well. So my goal was just to like over deliver yeah. on value and bring people together because the more I sit in this space of seeing life coaching and how it's done, the more I like just shake my head at how much and how ridiculous some of this stuff and the help is um, from a like financial commitment piece. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, the people that could benefit from this stuff the most to dip their toe in, it shouldn't cost them $15,000 Dip their toe in to hire a coach. It shouldn't cost you thousands and thousands no. you get produced through resources like that. Start small. And then when that time comes, if that investment makes sense, like that's again, something that people can should be, enabled and empowered to make yeah. it for themselves and go from there. So that's all we got going on right now. On my so end. awesome. <laughs> I am just in awe and I hope that you're celebrating all of your wins. Um, and it's just, it's really inspiring for me to be connecting with you and especially cause we're both fellow podcasters and just having, just having you, I think it's so cool and I'm so proud of you. And I think especially for all of the men listening Corey is an amazing guy for you guys to talk to and just to really have each other and that community for men because it's so important and there's not enough of it. And so I'm really, really stoked that you're sharing a voice here on Regardless. You're the best ever. And I get to see you next week. Heck yeah. Scott, yeah. thank you so much for having me. This is this is a blast. Anyone out there that you know any of this resonated with, like shoot me a message on Instagram. It's just Corey yeah. Camp on there. TikTok, if you're into that sort of thing, is forever athlete. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to jam. And my my messages are always open. If someone needs something, just awesome. shoot me a note. Awesome. And I'll include your podcast, your website, your TikTok, Instagram, everything in the episode notes so people know where to find you. But Corey, thank you. This was awesome. <laughs> Skylar, thank you. Thanks for listening to Regardless. I hope you've learned something from this month's soul conversation and will apply it to your very own syllabus. Join me next month for a new guest, a new tool, and a new perspective. If you found value in this podcast, please empower your tribe by sharing, leaving a comment, review, and or subscribe. Catch new episodes on the second and fourth week of every month on all major audio podcast platforms. For more information about my life and updates about the podcast, head to my Instagram at Skylar Sorkin and at Regardless the Pod. Thank you for tuning into Regardless. Thank you for being vulnerable and talking about the uncomfortable. Now go kick some ass.